Welcome to Business as an Adventure, a podcast dedicated to improving the businesses and lives of creative entrepreneurs. Together, we interview high-performing entrepreneurs and creatives from all over the world, explore what makes them and their business unique, and along the way, we uncover their secrets to help you craft your own adventure in the world of business. All right. Good morning. Our guest today is Brandon Wong, a former photographer and now the owner and creator of the Photobooth Supply Company, uh, alongside his college sweetheart and amazing wife, Katrina. I originally met Brandon at a photo conference years ago. I don't remember which one because we've been to so many together and then ended up buying a PBSCO booth and then bought two more <laughs> of his booths. Uh, we ran a, f- a photo booth company, my wife and I, for a few years here in Alberta before selling off all of our equipment to some friends who were leaving wedding photography to focus entirely on photo booths full time. The PBSEO booths are amazing. If you've never heard of them, we're probably going to talk about them a lot today. Brandon and Katrina had probably, I think, one of the most well-photographed weddings ever back in 2014. Davina and Daniel photographed it, but then it seemed like at least a quarter of your guys' guest list was some of the uh, world's best wedding photographers. And if I remember correctly, I think Erwin Darmali even brought a vintage Polaroid land camera to take photos at that event. And I think it gave half the industry wedding FOMO for not being there. So, Brandon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for, for being on with us today. And what a trip down memory lane. We were just talking about our wedding yesterday. Uh, we don't talk about our wedding often. So yeah, bringing back a lot of good vibes, man. I really appreciate you bringing me on. Um, and I was trying to figure out what conference we met at too. But man, we've been to probably so many, um, I guess to say unmemorable nights because we probably forgot what happened after dozens and dozens of beers. But uh, it's good to be on here, man. It's good to be on here. Thanks for having yeah. me. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to see you again. It's been been a while. I think WPPI this year, back back before in the before times, pre-COVID. Feels like forever ago. It does. It's well, this is fun because Brandon, I have I've not met you in real life, but I'm doing a deep dive on you. <laughs> doing a lot of internet stalking and learning about your company and uh, you and your wife and all that sort of thing. So I'm really excited to talk to you about your transition from wedding photographers to photo booth owners. So we're going to jump all over the timeline here, but I wanted to start off because, uh, you know, as I do, I stalk people when I'm going to uh, interview them on a podcast and you took economics at UC Irvine. And I was curious how you transitioned from economics into wedding photography and then into PBSCO. Well, that's wonderful of you guys. So I grew up in a, I guess, typical Asian household. You know, my parents wanted me to go to college and I had no idea what I wanted to do growing up, you know, um, as I'm sure most teenagers do. So I go into college and the most business major I could find was economics. So I just signed up for that. I really had no rhyme or reason of why I picked it. I just, I just picked it and I went into it. But the crazy things happened when I was a senior in high school, I was very much into collecting shoes and these people that collected shoes, they really liked to photograph them. And this was at the advent of digital photography. So just the T1Is started coming out, T2Is were coming out. And people just started having these amazing images of their of their sneakers. And somebody posted in a form that I was on, Ben Chrisman's website, and he's a, a, a photographer. And I went on that website and I was like, these images are incredible. Like this isn't like the typical glamorous, like, you know, glowy pose type photo this is like real i feel like i was at the wedding and for some reason at that point um this like 18 year old asian kid was like i want to be a wedding photographer for the rest of my life 
And it was this feeling that I've never felt before in my entire life. Like someone was calling out to me like, this is what you are meant to do. So I went to college and I kind of balanced both. So I understood that the type of photography that Ben Christman was doing was documentary. So I joined the newspaper as a staff photographer, became the photo editor of the newspaper there. And alongside that, went to school full time and also started doing photography on the side as well. And then that quickly evolved into it doing more and more full time. And it got to the point where by the time we were graduating, I actually didn't even graduate, like actually walk with my graduating class because I was shooting a wedding that day. So to bring things full circle, I begged them to say, hey, can I please just walk with another class? Because my parents are going to kill me if they don't see this, like me getting the degree and shaking hands and all that stuff. And believe it or not, guys, I ended up walking with the arts department. <laughs> Meant to be. So I came in as an economics degree. I got my economics degree, but I ended up actually like physically graduating with the arts department. So that that started my photography journey there. Um, and ever since then, uh, I told my parents, hey, I'm going to do this full time. Instead of graduated, I've been pretty much an entrepreneur since. That's crazy. <laughs> I How- love that graduation story. <laughs> <laughs> destiny, destiny that you had, you had yeah. the arts department. Well, it's so nice that they let you walk with a different department too. I didn't know anybody. So I was extremely embarrassed. I was like, kind of like, oh. <laughs> but it was fun. <laughs> How long did you, did, was Katrina shooting with you when you were in college or did she join you afterwards or how did that transition go? Yeah, so Katrina was actually working in childcare full time, along with going to school full time, and also shooting with me on the weekends. So we all had our hands very full, but she's been shooting with me since day one as well. So it was just as much of her company as it was my company, and we kind of grew our relationship. And man, you know, dating somebody is hard, right? And on top of that, add a layer of pretty much growing up because we were like 18, 19, 20 years old. So we grew up together, we grew a relationship together, and we grew a business together. So it's been a wild journey. Husband and wife team yourself, they, I don't know about you, Angie, but like it's been, it was wild. Um, and we had a lot of ups and downs and a lot of learning experiences along the way. Um, but it's been, it's been amazing. So it, it was during that time where we graduated. And, you know, we were like 21, 22 at the time. And, you know, going back to my Asian heritage, my parents were like, well, you know, you're, you're making decent money, but you're not making as much money as these guys are going to make. <laughs> you know, like, you're not a lawyer, you're not a doctor, like, you know. So we quickly realized, like, hey, you know, we, we've learned how to do our craft. Now, let's master the art of business. And it came to the point where we were hiring associate photographers. And we actually hired an in-house editor looking to, to scale that, right? Because mm-hmm. we knew very quickly on that there's only 52 weekends in a year. We're blessed to being in California. We're not, you know, in, in a very cold area like you guys, or at least uh, you, Dave. So like, you know, we have more of a season to shoot, but still it's limited. So let's hire out associate photographers. Well, that turned into a, a bit of a nightmare because as we all know, shooting a wedding is a super high liability job. Mm. What if you miss the first kiss? What if you're shooting the family photos and one person's blinking their eye and you didn't, you know, take 20 pictures and 20 alternatives of it? Uh, what if you lose a freaking wedding rings? What if you don't show up? What if you, what if you, you know, forget to bring a camera? What if you're, you know, there's so many things that can happen. 
And for most other jobs, like no big deal, like just show up the next day or fix it, whatever. You can't fix the wedding day. So you're relying on these associate photographers that you're paying like 500 bucks, $1,000, et cetera, to shoot. They don't have the, the weight of owning the business. So of course they're not, they might not take as much responsibility for it. Obviously if you're a good leader, et cetera, et cetera, someone can do it. But for us, it was super difficult. So we looked at ourselves and we're like, okay, how do we automate this? How do we like Elon Musk this and turn this into a, like a factory, right? And remove that risk of liability and to really just have somebody who just shows up on time, is reliable, takes pictures, and in, in essence, just capture more precious memories for our clients. A photo booth. <laughs> it's, it's reliable. It shows up on time because you're bringing it with you. It can take the pictures. You know, it, it doesn't call off sick. It, it's just that, that, that thing. And, on top of that, too, there's no post-processing involved, a very little post-processing. You don't have to manage people. Uh, I mean, there's a tenant, but they're just pretty much standing there with a happy face pressing a button. So that really resolved a lot of the pain points that we had of scaling our business. And in the end, our clients got a better experience overall because they actually got more pictures of their guests. Because what we were trying to do was like we walked around, we kind of like a, we call it like a speed tour. We ran around and grabbed a picture of every single guest. But most of the time, those pictures are not the best. <laughs> They're like, you know, the couple's like, uh, <laughs> you know, you try, you try to pull it out of them. But, you know, for the most part, you're trying to photograph 300 people in like 20 minutes. Like, it's not going to be the best quality. You're going to deal with whatever lighting you got, whatever background you got. But the photo booth, the images were consistent. Are well lit and because they're taking it themselves they don't have that pressure of this photographer photographing them it's not this there's not this awkward dynamic so it would just it led for a better client experience overall and we made more money because our profits and our margins were higher etc cetera, etc cetera. so that's how we kind of moved from not necessarily moved from photography to, to photo booth but that's how we integrated a photo booth into our business what was that first photo booth like so what I left out was when we first started doing this, we obviously did not know how to make our own photo booths. So we went to the internet and there were not a lot of good options out there. There were essentially these like big black boxes with black curtains. It, it looked like a place you didn't want to go inside. <laughs> it, it was kind of scary. Uh, but there was a one company who it looked pretty sleek. It was, it was, was white, it was modern, and it was also $15,000. So being, I think we we're 21, 22 at the time, that's, that's a big chunk of change. Uh, but we knew immediately that it was going to provide a great return on investment. We, like we already were shooting like 30 weddings a year. If just half of them booked it, it's already going to pay itself off in the first year, if not faster. And then not only did it pay itself off pretty quickly, but it, we also started getting gigs that weren't just weddings. Mm. Like restaurant openings were contacting us. And small events were happening us and birthday parties and, and, and these guys were paying just the same price as well as a wedding. So it really expanded our market and really gave us new photography clients as well. Cause they wanted also us to shoot these other events too. So it was kind of like a, I call it a gateway drug <laughs> into really <laughs> in diversifying our income streams. So we weren't just relying on weddings. Another issue too with wedding photography was we were only really shooting Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And we were kind of just twiddling our thumbs Monday through Thursday, not really doing much of anything. Frankly, we weren't pushing like family portraits or portraits that much. So that was on us. But for the most part, we weren't making any income. We were just kind of editing photos and that was it. 
Um, there's no value add there. So it really just filled up our schedules throughout the week as well. How, how were these restaurants and other businesses finding you? Were you guys SEO'd for, for photo booth? So that's a beautiful thing is when you photograph a wedding, you're putting yourself in front of an audience of, you know, 100 plus people. Not every single one of those people are going to be engaged in your target audience, right? But someone in there probably works at a corporation or a restaurant or is having a birthday party coming up or has a family celebration happening. So again, it just kind of came organically. They see the photo booth at the wedding. I have an event coming up. I want to book that photo booth. We didn't try hard at all, Dave. Like, <laughs> I wish I could call myself like a master marketer and I know what I'm doing. But like, frankly, I just brought it to the event and people just asked us, hey, can I get your business card? I have this coming up. And that was that was really it. It required no extra effort. So it, inadvertently, it kind of turned into a marketing device for us as well. So when we were shooting weddings, I found it super tacky. I didn't want to like hand out my business cards to everybody. And I know, I know some people too, like have like an iPad on like a table doing like same day slides. I, I don't know. I just felt that that was a little too much for me with the photo booth though. It was like super organic. People were taking pictures in there. I can easily email them the link to the gallery and the photos, but also like kind of slide in like, Hey, by the way, I do wedding photography. And corporate stuff and i can shoot your birthday party and stuff like that too so again it was it was kind of an organic way to essentially give an audience to that 100 200 300 people at those weddings as i was photographing and you know those 200 people times 30 events in a year that's a lot of people that you're Mm -hmm. organically reaching yeah what what year was this that you started doing it 2012 okay 2012 2013 yeah Fairly early wave as far as as the the new type of photo booths and stuff. Because even when we started in 2009, there were photo booths, but they were mostly just like a camera on a tripod. And then you'll just get like something afterwards. It wasn't instant printing or anything else like that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, my first first photo booth was was made of flesh and bone. It was me standing in front of a seamless backdrop. And I was praying to God that no one fell behind on the seamless backdrop because you get that one wrinkle and you're just screwed. Yeah. Oh, dark, those are dark days. I don't want to remember that. Oh, so how did the transition come from wedding photography, associates, photo booth, and then leaving wedding photography and starting PBSCO, doing all of like the, the fabrication and everything else like that for the for these new booths. So while we were, you know, really seeing the success of our photo booth, it was monstrous. So this $15,000 like sleek photo booth we had uh, was seven feet tall, extremely large, and it was still one of those like walk-in booths. So Essentially, at every single event, we had to build an enclosure. It required seven trips from the car, and it required me driving a U-Haul trailer, too. So for every event, I had to go to U-Haul on Friday, get the U-Haul um, hitch. I had to reserve it, too, bring it to the wedding, hope to God that they have like a really wide parking lot because, Jesus Christ, I can't drive a trailer for shit. <laughs> I had to to convince them, like, I I had to park here and and unload it through the back, like, through the kitchen. Hope you don't break any glasses. It's just, it was just getting to be a burden. Mm. And just like before, we're like, hey, let's let's try to solve this problem. How do we make this more efficient? How do we make this easier? Like, we're hiring two people every time we do a photo booth event because it takes too long to set up. 
how do we make this a, a one-person setup or maybe even a zero-person setup? How do we just have it be at the event and manning itself? How do we increase the picture quality? How do we make the, it look more sleeker so we can charge more? So we went to the drawing board and started making our own for purely selfish reasons. We, we just wanted a better looking product for ourselves and not have to lug this thing around anymore and did not want to drive U-Haul trailer anymore. So we went to our local fabricators here. and was like, hey, here's a napkin sketch. Um, can you make something like this? And I remember the first one's literally being on a napkin sketch or graph paper. And then built something. I remember our first ever prototype was actually made out of um, plexiglass. Hmm. And we did three events with it. And the third event, when we were taking it home, it fell out of the elevator and just completely shattered. <sighs> so we made the next one out of metal. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, it didn't break because it was metal, but it was like the Iron Man Mark I when he came out of that cave. It was super heavy still. <laughs> it, was, it was portable, but it was super heavy. You really felt like that giant clunkety clunk. So, okay, let's make this smaller. Let's use a, a thinner gauge aluminum. And we just kept on iterating on it, just like Iron Man in the first, in the first movie. Can I get better, better? Can I make it better, make it better? And I think we had like five iterations within like a few months. of just, And I got obsessed with it. Like, let's tinker here. Let, this could be mounting better. And along that journey, uh, I was documenting it on my Facebook. And we started getting notice from the photography community. And they were saying, like, wow, we're, we're experiencing the same issues that you guys are. We're trying to scale. We're trying to get affiliates or associates, excuse me. This is not working out. Like, they're unreliable. We're paying them too much and we're not making any margin at the end of the day. We're making like 500 bucks per associate photographer. I, this photo booth looks awesome. So Katrina looked at ourselves and we're like, we're not going to sell this. We're not, we're not a manufacturer. <laughs> like, we, we, made, we make a great one off and that's it. And it took a lot of convincing from our friends to say, like, hey, you know what? This, this is going to change the world. Like, you need to, to put this out for people. They need this solution. And my brain finally made a switch three weeks before WPPI 2013. And then I looked at Katrina and we're like, we got to do this. And we got to debut at WPPI 2013 oh in, three, in three weeks. And she said, you're fucking crazy. And I'm like, I know, <laughs> but we can do it. So in three weeks, guys, we built a website. We built a logo. We built marketing materials. We built business cards. We built the actual trade show booth. We made prototypes of the unit. Uh, we, we built the business from the ground up. It was so last minute that we had the prototype, no joke, made midnight the, our fabricator delivered to us midnight before we were about to drive to WPPI. It was not the spec, and he had to turn around and make another one and personally drive it to Vegas the second day of the show. This is how scrappy we were. And then at the end of the show, we were like, you know what? If we if we don't make any money, like, you know, we spent our kind of life fortune on this WPPI thing, but you know, we're still young. We're like 22, 23 at the time. It's not a big deal. End of the show with a hundred grand in sales, and then doubled it the week after. And and while we were happy for the sales, we were more happy with like, wow, like these many photographers out there are having the same issue, and they're finally having a solution for them, which made us tremendously happy. Um, and then the funny story is to wrap everything up. We this was all in Vegas, and we took some of the profits from the show. We went down to the strip bought an engagement ring and then we got married six months afterwards and then we had that crazy 
crazy event that you were talking about earlier in the in the podcast. Erwin Darmali was there and he did photograph with a land polar camera. And those pictures are some of the most treasured images that I have of uh, me and my family. I so believe it. That wraps up our story there. Yeah. yeah. I'm so impressed that you guys had this vision and this tenacity at 22, 22. I didn't know what the hell was going on. When I was 22. <laughs> and, and here you are making a, a photo booth and going to WPPI and selling the shit out of it. That's like, where, where does that drive come from? You, I mean, to have such a clear vision when you're so young. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I have a clear answer, but there, there was an inflection point. If you guys remember when I was 18 years old, I, I kind of found my calling after seeing about Ben Christmas website, that wedding photographer. And I remember going out to eat dinner with my family and it was at a Chinese restaurant. <laughs> I'm making myself sound so Asian. Uh, <laughs> so, we're, so we were at this restaurant called Supreme Dragon. And I'm telling my dad, I'm like, hey, I, I finally feel like I know what I want to do. I want to be a wedding photographer. And I remember, I'll never forget this. He looked at me and he started laughing. Like in disappointment and just like, that's ridiculous. And something overcame me. I just started crying and I don't cry very often. And I remember just running out from the restaurant. I called my friend and I slept at his house that night. And I was like, you know, I think from that point on, Angie, if you want to tell me like why the drive was there, I was like, it was to impress my dad. Yeah. And they're showing that we can make it not just as wedding photographers, but to be in a creative space. Mm-hmm. and create a scalable business that would help other people like that was where it came from so how how has your has your dad's views changed over the oh, years oh yeah he's he's <laughs> he's awesome he's awesome yeah, yeah. I, I don't I, I i think that was one of the best things that could have ever happened to me so i i don't blame him for it and uh i appreciate the way he's parented me um for better or for worse but I, I i don't i wish he i would never take that away from me yeah it's it's amazing how motivating that is. I wanted to go to school for photography and my dad talked me into going to school for engineering instead. And then when I was leaving engineering because our photography business was doing so well, he became our biggest fan and like would cut every article out of the newspaper that had anything to do with photography or anything else like that. And yeah, it, it can it can definitely be a motivator to want to change someone's opinion of your life path. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I was a high school teacher for four years before I left to do photography full time. And I remember having a conversation with my father. and He was like, um, well, make sure you still have your license. Um, you know, make sure that you have a plan B because like this ain't, this ain't going to work, basically. And then after, you know, the first like two years, <laughs> I was like, Dad, let me show you how much I made as a teacher and how much I made as a photographer. And I think his jaw almost hit the floor. <laughs> and he said, OK, maybe you just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Ah, parents. Yep. (laughs) My dad comes from like that old school generation too of like, I mean, he should have been like a 1950s dad. So, you know, everything's about security. Everything is about, you know, you have a degree. You need to use the degree. Um, Hard work and grit, but something that's like very tangible. And I think a lot of times in the photography world, it's intangible for people who aren't in that space. Yeah, totally. So, so walk me through, so you're what, 19 staff members for Photobooth Supply Company now? Yeah, we're at 20 now, including me and Katrina. So 
I'm sure there's a, probably a lot of photographers out there who have an idea, you know, similar to what you guys had with, we need to make this smaller. We need to make this easier. We need to do this. What was, I think a lot of people who, who decide to diversify in the photography industry tend to go towards intangibles like education or, or, or other things like that, not an actual physical product. What were some of the biggest hurdles and the best parts of that journey of creating this physical product and then turning that into a company that serves an industry that you're familiar with? Yeah, I think it's actually easier to, to believe in a photo booth when you photograph a wedding and you see how energetic the crowd can get and how magnetic it is to draw a crowd. And I'm sure you guys have been to many weddings where the photo booth was actually more popular than the dance floor. So when you see that happening, it's hard to to ration yourself out of not at least thinking about investing in one. And I totally, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily right for everybody, but if you have the bandwidth to do it, I don't see why it's not something that you should be offering your clients. And again, it is kind of an extension of photography. You're capturing memories, mm-hmm. you know, and we have plenty of DJs and wedding planners and florists and caterers that buy one too, but photographers have the benefit of what I call top of the food chain. So a lot of times when you get engaged, the first person you reach out to is like, hey, where, where, what date am I getting married, first of all? Where am I getting married? And then who's my planner? You know, And that might be the person at the venue or might be not a third party. And that planner just kind of refers you know, their, their slew of individuals. And the more, most of the time they hire the photographer first, at least they talk to the photographer first. So at that point, they haven't spent a lot of their budget you know, they made it put a deposit down on the wedding venue. They probably paid a little bit for the wedding planner. And at that point, you have the ability, as you're probably going to be teaching in this podcast, to really show value and show what you're worth and how, 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 how impactful photography can be. You can also show how valuable a photo booth can be during that time too, before they exhaust their entire budget. <laughs> so you can really, and I'm, I'm, I, we, you know, and we have a lot of people that are like pure photo booth companies and they're doing really well. But the downside that they have is that they usually unfortunately get contacted way at the end, the 11th hour before they get married. And at that point, unfortunately, sometimes their budget has been completely exhausted. So again, we have this beautiful benefit of, of really capturing that right in the beginning and charging a little bit more for it and or packaging it in a way that is lucrative to you. Something that we used to do was we used to actually give it away for free in our highest end package because we, we found that we weren't booking that at all. But when we said like, hey, this photo booth is $1,200, but we're going to get it for free if you book our highest end package, we saw a huge shift in people wanting to get that. Um, so that there's a lot of creative ways that you can, um, pitch it. And then to your, uh, initial question too, of like people wanting to sell digital goods. And there's been this huge advent of photographers selling, you know, presets and uh, education, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that kind of requires a following in the photography community in order to do that. And what I find is that you either are a photographer's photographer, (laughs) you know what I mean? Or you're a photographer who, I don't know how to say this. For the people? Uh, for, <laughs> yeah, I guess for the people. Yeah, I guess for the people. <laughs> I was going to say photographer who actually likes making money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably going to get killed for that. Anyway, so. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, uh, yeah, I had a, a lot of apprehension about saying that. Anyway, so yeah, there's a photographer, photographer, and photographers for the people. And you know, you either build your audience up to be like, hey, you have a, a lot of photographers following you, and in that sense, you can sell a lot of these like intangible goods, you're empowering the community, etc. Um, but if you're, you know, I either find that you're the networking with photographers, or you're networking with like planners and florists and DJs in your local area, and you're just so busy, you don't have time to network with photographers because you're just shooting all the time and making money. And if you're in that latter category, you know, photo booths is good for you. If you're in the former category and you've built up a lot of clout and following in the photography industry, like, yeah, intangible is great. You don't have to deal with any sort of, you know, you don't have to go to an event at all. Like, you just sell online. Great. It's awesome. And nothing wrong against that. If you do both, even better. Good for you. <laughs> and so what was the what was the process? Aside from that first WPBI, which uh, looks like it did well for you, what was, what was the process of growing this company, getting the name out there and convincing photographers that this is something that they need like i love that you guys have a profit calculator on the front of your homepage. like that was that's what caught my eye right off the bat i even did a little calculation for myself (laughs) super smart sorry go ahead dave (laughs) no i was just like curious what what that marketing strategy has has been because you are then being almost the photography you're, you're being that photographer's photographer but from a from a b2b perspective instead of trying to just network and make friends yeah and i'll go back to what i was saying earlier i'm not the most genius marketer whatsoever if there's one thing that i can definitely improve upon it's that but what we said early on of like when you see a photo booth and you see how magnetic it is there's no reason for a photographer to not even think about hey should i at least consider adding this to my package or my or my offerings so we said hey let's get in front of people and that's probably why we you know, have had many drunken nights at all these conferences out there because, like, hey, let's go to Canada Photo Convention, let's go to WPPI, let's go to Mystic Seminar, let's go to X, Y, and Z. So pretty much every photography convention that had at least some sort of a business seminar going on, at least one business talk, we were there. Didn't do so well, like, let's just say, you know, baby portrait <laughs> conferences, but for pretty much any event type photography conference, we were there and if there was a party, that was when we brought the photo booth and the alcohol gets into play and it just like pretty much sells itself at that point. Mm-hmm. So that was, I guess, if there was a marketing strategy, that was it. It was a lot of in-person events, which uh, might not happen for a while now. <laughs> yeah. So your newest, when I bought the booth, you know, a generation ago it was mostly a hardware solution there was a little bit of software solution on a on a tablet to tie in with the the rebel and everything else like that but it seems like now uh the salsa booth it's almost like you're you've split the business to be a hardware company but also software as a service to support the booths what led that and do you find it's an easier thing to do than just selling hardware Great question. So when we initially started the company, we had a product called Legacy, which is the one you invested in, I believe. Yeah. And that was kind of like an amalgamation of all these different types of products. We had like, hey, here's a Surface Pro in here. Here's an Alien B Flash. Here's a Canon camera. And here's a beautiful package and market materials and a business plan and education for you to add this into your business to start making money right away. This was doing great. And then it got to a point where, well, we're using a third-party software. And we cannot control that. So we're essentially just selling you this business in a box and we're supporting just the hardware component. But in order for one of our owners to have a long-term success, the software needs to be updating 
as well to keep up with the times and to keep up with the user experience. So we found this disconnect kind of, and, and the good analogy I kind of find here is iOS and Apple, Android and all the other phones out there, or Mac OS and, and Macs and Windows and all the other devices out there. Windows has to be like, it has to work for every type of device out there. And for Apple, they only have to worry about their own hardware. So we're like, Apple's doing so well. They have this beautiful integration. You know, it's just so much efficiency. Let's bring that ethos into our business as well. That way we can support our customers. And yes, it's a double win because we get recurring revenue from the software side of you, but then we also can get that revenue and inject it back into your business and help you grow it as well. Instead of just saying, hey, you're, you bought it, the one-time deal, you go figure it out yourself. Because we wanted to help everyone be successful, but we couldn't really do that if we hadn't, there's no sustainable business model. We just, a one-time sale, we don't get any residual returns. Like there's no financial incentive for a company to keep supporting that customer. Even though we were still doing, we were just losing money. <laughs> so, so when we did that, uh, it was a game changer for us and our clients because we were controlling the entire experience. Is it easy? F no. And we, we've had a lot of... um. I talked to a lot of consultants and whenever they come into our business and kind of look at it and they come out, they're like, Brandon, how are you doing this? You're running a, a hardware company. You have supply chain. You have multiple factories in China. You have an assembly plant here in California. You're running a software division with people in three different countries, <laughs> all communicating with each other, working on iOS, web, and on also on Windows. And on top of that, you have a success team creating education, creating content, and Every time they tell us that, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I don't even know how my head's together. <laughs> I don't know how we do all this stuff. So yeah, it, it's 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 pretty crazy. But thankfully, I have an amazing team um, that runs pretty autonomously, and I'm happy to talk about that too. But they're, they're just incredible. They're driven. They really are passionate about our customers and really passionate about creating a solution that helps grow their business. So luckily, Katrina and I, um, you know, at this, at this juncture, are pretty hands-off with our team. They can pretty much do their own thing. Um, we have a, actually today we have a virtual boot summit happening. So it's a, a virtual conference and I pretty much don't do anything. They took over all the audio, the technical, their hosting, they found all the speakers, they made the website, they did everything. I had, did not lift a finger whatsoever. So wow. they're pretty awesome. That's awesome. So when you've built this team, right? You have 20 people, including yourself and your wife. Um, what are the, what are the skill sets that you're looking for in these people and how do you find them? So this is a, a great question again. Before you hire your first person at a company, and I learned this the hard way, we've had dozens of hires at this point, it's really important that you sit down and and write and discover a few things. Number one is your mission statement. And to most people at starting your entrepreneurial journey, like they just want to get rich quick, you know, and they don't really take the time to understand why. And, you know, this is such a popular thing that Simon Sinek, the why book, right? But it is so freaking important. And the, the normal business term for this is your mission statement, which I define as your non-financial reason for being in business, right? And this is how charities can get people to volunteer for them. And <laughs> so what is your why? And what is that mission statement? So for us, it is to create business opportunities in a nutshell um, and in a creative way. To help, to help these people start this entrepreneurial journey. So we write that down. The next thing you want to define are your core values. And again, this is a, a tough subject because a lot of people think, oh, core values. It's like 
the movies like The Office and they have these like really lame pictures on the wall with like a mountain and it says determination on it. And like, who even cares about that stuff, right? But it's so important. It's so important. So for us, our uh, rocked, R-O-C-K-E-D. So it's respect, ownership, candor, Kaizen, excellence, and discipline. I won't go into all that. But the reason why we picked those is we actually look back at our, our journey of Photoboost Blyco, Angie, and we said, okay, what helped us create this company in those three weeks that led up to WPPI? What, what was the reason for my pursuit of that perfection and reiterating on this booth six times in a matter of a few months, like Iron Man, and it came down to those core values. So we wrote all that down. And then when you have those two things, your core values and your mission statement, it becomes super easy to define who you want to hire and how you interview them in the process. And we have this like crazy five-step interview process, which I'm, I don't want to bore you guys to death with. But all every You're step on the right of podcast and not bore us to death. <laughs> yeah, but, but but every step of that interview process, we're constantly assessing what is their mission statement, what are their core values, are they in alignment with us? Because they could have a completely different perspective on things, they could dress a completely different way, have a completely different hobby, but it, it at the core of it, at the root of it, if their mission statement is aligned with you and their core values align with you, they're going to be an amazing fit for your company. Mm-hmm. That was kind of a long answer there. <laughs> Core values and where did, where and why and how did Kaizen join join that that uh, that core values thing? Um, it's it's a word that I love. It's a it's a it's a you know the the concept of it. For those of you who don't know out there, do you want to explain a little bit what Kaizen is and what it means to PBSCO? Yeah, so Kaizen is a Japanese word for continuous improvement. And how that got selected as a core value was uh, one part was the Iron Man story of like, hey, I was not satisfied with this booth. It, it broke here. Let's make it better. Um, it's too heavy. Let's make it lighter. You know, it's ugly. Let's do that. Um, the software is third party. Let's, let's bring it in house. So from a technology component, that was important for us. But we also knew a long time ago when Facebook was kind of in its infancy, it came out with this thing called the Facebook Red Book. And one of the things in this rep, it's kind of like an employee handbook. And one of the things in this handbook said, we need to make the company that kills Facebook. Hmm. We need to make the company that kills Facebook because if we don't, somebody else will. And when I read that, it made it very clear to me that if, if we're not moving forward, we're moving backwards. And if we're not constantly trying to create the company that kills us, again, somebody else will. So that's when I decided that hey, Kaizen needs to be an integral core value here. Plus it fit in the rock thing really well. <laughs> Plus it's like Japanese, which I think everything Japanese is cool. So there's a lot. So that's, that's why we picked that. That's awesome. Um, I think it's so important too, to talk about core values and mission statements and all of that sort of a thing. Cause as you said, it's really easy just to glaze over all that. I just want to start making money right now, but taking time to really look at what is important to you and what is imp- going to be important to your staff. That's really going to create the foundation the rocked foundation, no, <laughs> the foundation of your company. Like I, I, I think that's really, really smart, and it's a step that a lot of people overlook. So then, let's talk about present time really quick here. You're an event, events. You, you do events, right? Weddings and corporate and all of this. And now we're not allowed to have events because of COVID. What have the last few months looked like for you? We launched our newest photo booth last year around April. And 
it has been by far the, the culmination of everything we just talked about, like the elegance, the simplicity, the ease of use, like it, it, it completely redefined our industry, in my opinion. The finally, the fruit of our labor, like quarter one this year, they had like record breaking numbers and, and not just photographers buying it, but also a lot of B2B, like you know, we had a lot of like cannabis companies buying it and big, big names that I can't mention buying it. And it was like, awesome. Like people were seeing the impact of experiential marketing and seeing the impacts and positivity of, of, of having it a shareable experience. And then this happened and we literally hired like three people right before that hell week. Um, I don't forgot what it was like mid late March. And we were on this crazy growth trajectory and my whole world turned upside down. We went from like, you know, X amount of sales a week to like nothing, zero. We lost 90% revenue like that. And me looking like I just hired three people. <laughs> we just upped our marketing budget by three X. Like this is not looking good. So we had to do a lot of pivots, not just from a strategy standpoint, from a, from a customer standpoint, but also from an internal standpoint. Like how do we like not spend this much money? How do we reduce our operational costs? How do we sort of increase top line? How do we reduce churn from our um, software? Like it, everything had to be flipped upside down. And every single week we we're doing huddles, changing things, changing things. So some of the things we did, which were number one, we froze hiring, obviously. We wanted to make sure that I'm not, we're not accepting any more job applicants <laughs> for sure. And then luckily some of the people that were just recruited, either they willingly stepped out um, knowing that like, Hey, I, I know this is gonna be a tough time. I have other opportunities that were like my plan two, plan three. I still love your company, but I can't grow your company if it's contingent on events. So we had some people do that. And then in addition to that, we also had some team members that we knew that were, were not high performers that we had company. Cause we knew that we just couldn't, we couldn't afford anyone else, but a 10 out of 10 at that moment. But with that said, we still maintain team size. So people that were kind of already on the way out sorry, people that we exited were kind of already on the way out anyways. So we were actually replacing them with other staff. So I like to tell people we, we maintain team size. We didn't ne to necessarily or technically like not fire anybody, but we also maintain team size as well. So that was from an internal perspective. And then we stopped all marketing spend. Like went from, we went from like 13 grand a month to zero on, on ads. So that was another thing. And then from a product standpoint, we knew that there weren't going to be any in-person events anymore. So our entire software was contingent on showing value when our customers went to an event and there's no events happening. So the question we were asking ourselves is how does our software provide value when you're not at an event? Why would you still stay subscribed to this? So we did a few things. Uh, number one, we created what we call a photo booth Academy. So we created over a hundred videos to teach people how to start, grow, and scale their photo book business. And everything I'm talking about, the core values and the five-step hiring process and et cetera, et cetera. I go into all that stuff. It's, it's not just how to run a six-figure photo book business, but really how to hire, how to run a seven-figure, even eight-figure business, period. You know, and it, these things don't just apply to photo booths. Mm -hmm. So we created that almost overnight and we did it virtually. So we, we set up like four remote studios. We had a, our in-house director coach everybody on how to set it up, how to set up the green screen, how to set the lighting, how to set up the camera, <laughs> all that stuff. It was wild. So we filmed all that in a matter of like a month and a half. And then another thing we wanted to do too 
uh, from a product is, uh, again, how do we provide value? So we created what we call the portfolio. So now you can aggregate all of your photo booth events onto one massive page. And then as of yesterday, we actually launched virtual booths. So you can actually have a photo booth at a virtual event and anyone can take a picture from their home, from their phone, from their browser, no app downloads needed. And it's just this wonderful experience that allows you to really monetize even though you're not physically at an event. Hmm. So you're having a birthday party, you're at a wedding. Hey, I'm going to offer you this service. All of your wedding guests that couldn't make it to your wedding, they can now take pictures onto this beautiful live gallery and have everyone's memories there on a one page. And they're all wishing you, you know, a happy wedding day. And they're dressed up too. And they're, and they have their wine glasses and just this beautiful album of their most cherished people in their lives that unfortunately couldn't make it to their wedding because they scared to fly or they couldn't fly, et cetera, et cetera. So that's one thing we did there. I was going to another thing too. I forgot. But yeah. I'm, so, I'm so impressed by this. It's good. You're like tickling all of the happy parts of our brains. <laughs> yes. Well, and every, and everything that you're saying, it makes, it makes so much sense, but there's so much innovation there, mm -hmm. you know, as a wedding photographer, um, you know, thinking about, especially like the, the type of photography that I do, like, how can I still bring value to these folks if I don't have, um, you know, candid moments with guests? Like, how, how am I going to pivot maybe my expectations or the client experience? And I mean, you probably thought about, you probably, it probably didn't take you very long to think of that solution that you just said about like, you know, having, having them dressed up and wine glasses and cheers to the couple. I feel like that would have taken me months. So I'm really impressed by this innovation. I wonder how many other companies out there are, are moving in that direction as well. Yeah, we, we were very, very fortunate um, to, to kind of see there. Um, but the, the one thing I forgot about as well was from our marketing efforts, we went from spending 13 grand to like zero. So we had to be really scrappy with what we were doing to reach new clients. Uh, and what we did was, I, I remember I was on Reddit one day and I listened to this podcast, a really controversial podcast. And he said, why your ads suck and why you shouldn't spend any money on ads. I was like, well, I'm not spending any money on ads. So I better read this article. And this guy essentially said that the future of marketing is really in writing about stuff you're passionate about and being the go-to source for everything involved in that topic. And whether that means you a podcast about it, YouTube page, Instagram, and don't sell your shit, just talk and be the go-to resource. There should be nowhere else on the internet except for your space to learn about this topic. And that's how you're going to get clients. So we, we looked at it and sort of like, we don't have a podcast. Our YouTube page hasn't been touched in like months, <laughs> maybe years. Let's shift gears over. We're already making content on the Academy. Might as well go there. So we started a podcast. <laughs> and within like a week, we had a thousand subscribers. Wow. Uh, started a YouTube channel. And we started making content there. Our Instagram completely switched to just being like all value-based. Like we're constantly posting tips and tricks on how to grow your business, how to start a business, how to use these new virtual booths, et cetera. Um, and that's how we were able to, you know, kind of bring back some of that marketing efforts and not spending 13 grand anymore, but spending a little bit more wisely. Uh, so that's kind of our new marketing pivot is again, being the go-to resource for everything uh, photo booth related. So then I wonder, you know, the people who are investing now in your services, what, what have the numbers looked like there? Are you finding that more photographers and businesses are 
Um, they're looking for ways to make more money when we're out of this um, this COVID era, or are they really holding on to their pennies? Yeah, and, and I'll I'll be completely real with you here. We've seen a lot of people in as in our customers and in prospective customers really kind of feel deflated, and mm-hmm. we have two camps here: either the people that are like, you know, what? there's no better opportunity than a crisis, and then yeah, the other camp that's like, I can't even get out of bed. Yeah. And it's completely debilitated. And I, I totally get that. Like, there's so much happening all at once. You know, BLM, this, unemployment rates, the, the second government funding in America hasn't even pushed through yet. And that's been going on for months. Like, uh, upcoming election, there's just a lot of stuff for a lot of fragile people to be worried about all the time. And it's really difficult for them to, to get out of bed, let alone start or reignite their business or want to market their business. Yeah. So it's been that's been tough for us. And we, we try to be their cheerleaders and we, we, that, and we really believe that right now is the best time to start your photo booth business because in 2021, there's going to be a 30% increase of weddings. I don't know if you guys follow the wedding report, but they collect all these stats and everything like that. So a 30% increase, that's a huge. So like imagine all the photographers and photo boothers and florists, et cetera. Now that they have been booked up like crazy, like in 2019, early 2020, like there's going to be an overflow of an event. So either these companies scale up, which is difficult, as we mentioned, or there's new people that come in and kind of help take in some of the overflow as well, while everybody still gets to eat. So anyway, we're trying to encourage that. But to be completely frank, Angie, it, it's it's kind of polar opposite. We have, we have it's a camp that's it's really struggling. And we have the camp that's like hustling harder than ever. And they're like, yeah, I, I got time to build my business plan now. I, I'm I'm building out my own podcast. I'm reaching out to vendors and blah 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 blah. So it's been it's been difficult. Yeah, yeah, really interesting those kind of stats. I felt like that too with my own uh, my own colleagues in the photography community, just kind of keeping tabs on everyone. I feel like I was in the I can't get out of bed camp for a few months, <laughs> but you know now that I'm just like okay, well we're in it, and I feel like I've mourned properly. So. You know, I'm pivoting, doing this podcast, of course, working on some really cool projects with Dave and then in my own business. So, uh, yeah, I would be really interested to see too where the uh, where the demographics are in this. You know, with the the areas of the country or you know Canada versus the U.S. and yeah, hopefully 2021 they're they're projecting the right that it's that it's going to be a 30 percent increase. Let's <laughs> guys. <laughs> it will definitely be up here uh, north of the 49th parallel. Hopefully it'll be, <laughs> be the same for you guys. Like, yeah. I'm to become a Canadian. <laughs> I have a good point too, because it also like greatly varies per countries. So with a lot of the European countries, they have a, an amazing government backing for them. Like they're paying, you know, in Canada, they're paying 85% of the work. I mean, you guys should be hiring people at the right right now. You guys are essentially getting free labor. Like that's awesome, you know? Yeah. The best time to scale your company right now, incredible, you know? But maybe the bookings aren't in there. So for, for us, it's like, oh, we have a lot of clients that are like, they're ready to go, but they're, they're kind of waiting. Like, I'm not going to buy yet, but my, my foot is on the pedal. And then when this thing starts lifting up, then we're going to hit go. So we're kind of seeing that all across. But yeah, definitely seeing a little bit more I guess optimism from non-American countries, just because they have such great financial backing from their government. Better uh, leadership. Great... <laughs> 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 I'm in the middle of nowhere, so 
I feel like I'm, I'm safe saying that out here. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, even opened yet. Like we're still in limbo. We're still waiting for them to open the borders. There's still a two week quarantine, and we have you know it's a 98 percent destination out here. Yeah. So like, we're looking at a dead industry until you know our our leadership can get their shit together and start opening yeah. up and testing. All right. So <laughs> let's I, transition away from <laughs> talk about happier things. Yeah. <laughs> Happier thing. So I'm going to talk about failure. Um, so one of my favorite questions that I love to to ask people, you know, uh, failure has been something that failure and determination are things that I've been studying for years. I felt like it was not something, not skills I had as a kid were, were grit or, or overcoming failure. And so it's been something that I've been working on. So at bo- as a business owner, do you have a favorite failure in your business and how did you recover from it? Yeah, that's a great question. There's been a lot. <laughs> There's been many. I think one of the early failures on, um, and I'm saying this because it relates to a lot of the, maybe your audience, is when you start growing a company, as I said earlier, it's really important to define your mission statement and your core values. Um, but if you don't do that, it's very easy to start hiring people that are the closest to you instead of the people that are right for the job. So back then, uh, before we even knew what a mission statement or core value was, we were trying to pull in a lot of our, hey, this guy knows how to do X, Y, and Z. He's probably a good fit for this. This girl knows how to do X, Y, and Z. They're, they're, got paid, they're in the marketing department. They should know how to market, you know? So we did that and very quickly realized that it wasn't going to be a good fit. And because they started off as friends, it's more difficult to have these, you know, serious conversations about performance and by the company growth. So that is something that I caution all early entrepreneurs on. Going back to what I said earlier, it's super important that while it's so tempting to hire the people closest to you, and you know, Dave and I know best, we <laughs> work with our wives. Um, like it, it's, and luckily it worked out for us. It doesn't work out for a lot of people. But always truly define those mission statements and your core values before bringing somebody on. Otherwise, it can turn into a potentially toxic relationship and, and something that you spend more of your time focusing on on that relationship than on growing the business, which is why you hired them in the beginning. So that's something that just caution every entrepreneur early on. That's a big um, learning lesson that I've had. How did you handle that transition when you potentially had to let a friend go and replace them with a better fit candidate? Was it, did you just put on the CEO hat and just, and hope for the best? Yeah, it's, it was tough. Um, Back then, I didn't know how to exit somebody or how to even like reprimand somebody or coach them. I I, I didn't have a lot of goals for them or defined uh, what you guys may call KPIs, key performance indicators. So when you first hire someone, again, you're, you're a lot of time, this is the journey. You start, you make a ton of money and you're like, this is great. And then I'm like, oh shit, I'm working 80 hours a week. I don't have a life. I need to hire someone to help. And you hire somebody and you're just like, you're so thankful that like, oh my God, this guy is, or this gal is like helping me. And you, you treat them like a saint. You're like, oh my gosh, like they're, they're giving back this 30, 20 hours back in my life. I'm going to take them out to spas and take them out to dinners and buy them drinks all the time because they're like a savior, you know? And sooner or later, you're like, wait a second. I didn't, I didn't tell them what their goals were. I didn't tell them what my expectations are. 
there's no documentation on how they're supposed to do anything. And then that relationship turns more into like, again, a friendship than it is a working relationship. And something that I have learned and something that we have a big emphasis on in our company is I tell people right when they get hired, and this is on our website too, is that we are a team. We're not a family. We are a team. We're not a family. And I always ask them, like, have you ever been in a sports team before? Have you guys been in a sports team before? Yeah. Yeah, perfect. So what happens if someone in that sports team is not performing well? Cut. Out of there. <laughs> or Correct, or right? Coached or coached or something. It dealt, it's <laughs> we had very different it's, coaching experiences. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you're just so... <laughs> Yeah, so that that because ultimately, when you're part of a, a team, and I'm not talking about like you know elementary school, I'm talking about like high school, college. Yeah. You know, ultimately, it's about performance. You're out there to win, and in business, it it's it's not just about getting first place, second place. It's people's jobs that are on the line. It is is your livelihood as a business owner is on the line. Your customers' products and their services are on the line. There's a lot more at stake there. So I always tell people, we're a team, we're not a family. And like your other team members that you had in, in, your, in your teams growing up, you care for each other, you love each other, you, know, you go out, you get beers. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you're not performing, <laughs> you said, Angie, you get cut. Yeah. So and again, if going back to you know, your original question, mistakes, I wish I defined that early on with my first few hires. That, hey, we're going to be buddies. We're going to get beers after work. But there is a strict line between, like, hey, we are friends outside of the office. But at the company, we are a team. And ultimately, at the end of the day, we're going to be judging each other based off performance. So if I slack off or you slack off, that is ultimately what's going to be the determinant for us to keep our job here at this company. Mm -hmm. And if that is not at the forefront and that's not being held, then... Find another company or find another opportunity that is more fitted for you in terms of core value, in terms of mission statement, or in terms of somewhere where you can perform well. And ultimately, it all comes down to performance. So yeah, <laughs> mission statement, core values. And for me, at least, because my personality type is I'm an Enneagram 3 and I'm an ENTJ. I'm all about efficiency and performance. So for my culture... <laughs> It's all about performance. You know, I'm not, I don't run a surfboard company where, you know, creativity and relaxation is a core value. You know, like, I don't, I, I don't, I like that, but ultimately again, we're, we're doing hard work. Like you said, we're, we're product development, software development, supply chain, you know, we're doing a lot of shit. So we need to be on our A game all the time. So yeah, long, long answer there, but. No, yeah. great answer. Is, answer. Is, there, is there anything that has, has influenced that mindset any any people companies books things like that like you mentioned the facebook red book earlier growing as as a business owner and as a ceo ha, have there been influences that have helped you along the way yeah um man i have a huge library of books the most the the, the top three that i always recommend number one is the the best book to teach you people skills which i'm sure you know is how to win friends and influence people and everyone always mentions this book, but it, it is the Bible for for likability, how to get your word, name out there. Because when you start a business, you are going to be the best salesperson for that business for a very long time. Yes. And you need to learn that first. And it's going to be a while until you can hire a better salesperson than you. <laughs> Trust me. The second book I recommend is the best 
marketing book I've ever read, which is uh, How to Build a Story Brand. Mm -hmm. And that book will teach you everything you need to create the verbiage to correctly market your company. But it also will teach you how to find that mission statement, that why. And if you fall, if you read that book and you sign up for the class or whatever that they, that they recommend and fill out that sheet that they tell you to fill out, you will be on a path to success. That's kind of like your light business plan there. And then the third book that I recommend, um, usually when you're getting a little bigger, is called The E-Myth. I'm sure you guys all read it, but yeah. So it's it's kind of like the the entry level book as to explaining to yourself why you need to stop working 80 hour weeks and find somebody to help you. <laughs> so those are kind of like the three like, hey, you're starting a business, read these books. That'll give you a good path. And then I have you know books for when you you know hit seven figures and get bigger than that and stuff like that. But yeah, those are the top three books that I recommend to any um, starting entrepreneur or any early stage entrepreneur. Yeah. Emith was the first business book I ever read and Same. completely helped build our business from from the great from the get-go. I still have a process binder around here somewhere that we built when we read the Emith. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, StoryBrand is amazing too. I I went through StoryBrand University during COVID when they moved it online, which was a great business pivot for them. Like their entire business model was built around getting people to Nashville for 3 days in a conference center. Can't do it. Great. Let's move online. Let's go for it. All right. How so in your business you hire people for specific roles, do you expect them to be self-driven in educating themselves in those roles or have you built a company culture to feed them the information that they need? Because I think everybody's a different kind of person. Some people like yourself and I would assume Angie and I are self-driven people. We educate ourselves. We're always trying to keep up to date, but other people are just like head down workers. Do you hire specifically for head down workers for those types of roles and then hire sort of the big thinkers and dreamers and educators for other things? Yeah, I think at a certain point in your business, you need to be pretty granular with who you hire. And for us, for the most part, I we're small enough to where I still want to maintain that culture of Kaizen. So during that hiring process, I'm specifically looking at their resume and also their que the, the questions that I'm asking them to see if they have that fire for curiosity. So one of the questions that I asked them early on is, how do you learn? You know, And most people just say, oh, I, um, you know, I read, I read books. I'm like, okay, what books do you read? And they, they can't find an answer. They're just like, oh, Lord of the Rings. I don't know. <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, I usually write that off, right? Um, what I'm looking for is I love podcasts. I go on YouTube all the time. These are my top three books. And these are like people that are constantly improving. Another great question there is what are your hobbies? Because people that usually have this passion for learning have a ton of hobbies or at least have a few. Right. And they're constantly improving. So like, yeah, I love cooking or I RC cars are my thing. I, I like to like, paint and draw and I'm always learning. So like that, this, these are the kind of answers that you want to look for. Another question you can ask too is like, what was the last thing you learned? Uh, and, and I like to ask the same questions kind of over and over again, just to make sure they're not bullshitting me. And one of the, one of the last stages of our interview process, it's no joke, a three to four hour interview. Wow. One time it went up to six hours and. My logic there is after three hours, you can't lie to me anymore. 
<laughs> so I kind of go back to my important questions near the end of it. And I kind of ask them again, just to make sure, like, are you still saving face? Are you, are you still acting like honest and, and with integrity? And like, you're not, you know, you're not shifting your body weight and like moving your eyes and stuff like that. So there's a lot to find there. But, you know, there are some individuals in our company that let's just say one of our techs, he is amazing at fixing our photo booths if there's ever an issue, repairing them, also improving upon it. He's, he's a clock in, clock out kind of guy. He likes to do his thing and he is perfect for that role, you know? So it, I, I don't mind if he had that spark for, you know, curiosity and growth. And he's, he has that, maybe not to the degree that some of the other team members have, but he is someone that is, is very happy with what he does. He's very passionate about what he does, but maybe he doesn't have that specific core value as much as maybe some of the other members have in the team. And that's okay when you get to a, a certain size, but you know, when you're first starting out, first one, two, three hires, you really want someone who exemplifies those core values. It's not until later on that you can have someone specifically do something. Your first few hires kind of need to be jacks of all trades, even though, you know, there should be the E-myth triangle uh, <laughs> that you're looking for. They still should kind of be able to do everything. Yeah. Just in- so I think a lot of successful businesses run mm-hmm. on people who think differently. So is there something in business that you believe is true that very few people agree with you on? These are great questions, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I hate to keep bringing back what I said earlier, but I think it comes back down to that performance aspect of team versus family. That slide scares a lot of people. And I know that because when they interview with me, uh, can you explain the slide a little bit? Like, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> and, and, and like, how much tolerance do you have for non-performing team members or how, like, like, do you cut me right when I make a wrong move? So that, that's kind of the, the, the ear perking, you know, eyebrow raising slide that every, every person who, who applies for a job kind of gets nervous about. Um, so that's kind of, and, and, and some people like really think like, Hey, I'm building a family environment. And I, I know tons of CEOs where like you, I go to their office and it seems like a freaking circus, you know, like they got workout station here, inverter boards here, popcorn machine, there, drinking beer in the afternoon, you know, I'm like, that's cool. Are you getting work done? <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of the. I guess maybe the most polarizing viewpoint that I have, mm-hmm. but I will say and kind of add this on. We've also had applicants that come in, they love it. And they say, I've been at those places where it's a circus and I hate it. And I just want to be surrounded by people who love to get shit done and want to make a difference in this world. And I can't stand when they do X, Y, and Z at the office or they slack off or they take, you know, five hour lunches and blah, blah, blah. blah. And they, they want to be that team. So, don't be afraid if you have a polarizing opinion on your business because likely, more than likely, there's going to be a, a huge segment of people out there that have the same views as you and that's going to draw them even closer to your company and your mission. I like that. Yeah. How do you motivate them to their KPIs? Like, is it, do you have, you know, metrics that they have to hit by specific dates? Is it a quarterly meeting? Like, is there is there a way that you keep people on task? So you mentioned earlier about how do we create an autonomous team? How do we empower them? And empower is a word that we use very frequently, whether it be empowering our customers 
to grow their own business and learn on their own, or whether it be empowering our own team members to know what the goals are and to let them come up with their own solutions. So one of the things that we do is called the scorecard. So kind of like sports, we have this Google sheet and everybody has their own, what we call critical number or people call them KPIs. We call them critical numbers of our company. And so someone's critical number might be, you know, average chat response time because we know quicker chat response gets faster sales. Uh, another number might be number of tickets that were wrote, written into support at photoboothspyco.com. And our goal is to reduce that number every single week, which shows that we are creating better support articles. We're being preemptive in our efforts instead of being reactive. Some numbers might be on a marketing effort of like, hey, what's our average cost per click every single week? And our goal is to move that down. So we have this Google spreadsheet of all these numbers. The reason why it's a Google spreadsheet and the reason why it's public is accountability. Because hmm. if you mess up in your numbers, everyone's saying, oh, and he's been slipping. And again, she's slipping. What's going on there? So there's that level of accountability that's that's inherent in this public sheet that kind of gives you that fire to want to show off to your team members and want to prove, she's like, hey, like, I am doing better here. These are numbers are constantly improving and it's me. You know, and everyone can see that. So that's a kind of number one driver for for incentivizing them. And then the, and just, I'm sorry, I want to bring this up real quick. So the scorecard, if anyone is like interested in it, and want to build one out for yourself, don't have it be like 30, 40, 50 things. Like, there's no way, you know? So I always tell people, if you were stranded on an island and you had a little bottle that floated to you every single day, and that bottle just had 15 KPIs in there, 15 critical numbers. And based off of those numbers, you'd be able to tell if the company is healthy or not. Write down those 15 numbers, the most important 15 numbers. That's what you need to track. And that's what you need to keep growing. So anyways, critical numbers, scorecard, that's a way to increase accountability there. And the second thing we do is obviously money is, is a great motivator. So what we do is we actually provide a, an open book management. So what that means is that we actually share all the financial data with all of our employees. They know how much money we make, how much money we've lost, how much money we spent. They pretty much know everything. If they ask me any question except for how much someone makes, that's the only question that's off limits, I'm happy to share with them how much money we spent on Facebook ads, how much money we spent on our software this month. You know, everything is available. So we have these quarterly meetings where we, where we show everybody the growth of the company, what's happening, statistics as to, to why these numbers are happening this way. And it empowers them with all the information that the CEO of a company would have so that they have the ability to make decisions like the CEO. And this is why I didn't have to lift a finger for this Boost Summit thing because they know everything I know. Yeah. Nothing to hide, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so they, they can act like the CEO of the company and run this whole thing and they know how much to spend. And you would be so surprised, Dave and Angie, of how, how careful they are with spending company dollars. They, they, they like kill themselves over even spending five bucks sometimes because they know it's going to impact company profits. <laughs> like what employee like thinks like that? And, and in the end, it's because we give 
a certain percentage of our profits at the end of the year as bonuses. So the more money we make as a company, the more money gets distributed to them as well. And you might be thinking like, well, why are you giving away your profits? You're the owner of the company. I always like to say, hey, I'd rather have, instead of having a whole grape, I'd rather have a slice of a watermelon. And if you empower your team members with the information, like in financials, and giving them the high goal, which is the critical numbers in that bottle, which is like, hey, if you increase these 15 numbers, that's it. Nothing else fucking matters. Just these 15 numbers, right? And obviously, you give them a little financial incentive. You have a company that runs itself. Mm. That's it. That's awesome. I love that. Impressive. <laughs> All right. So we're, we're coming to the end here. Our last sort of two questions. First off, where can people find you and your business and how can we hook people up with, with Photoboost Supply Company out there in the internets? Yeah, if you want to see a lot of me cooking food and acting like a silly dude, uh, you can follow me at Brandon underscore Wong. I don't suggest you do that, though, because it's kind of boring. Uh, but if you want to follow our amazing company and learn like tips and tricks, uh, and just general good business advice, follow at Photo Booth Supply Co. And also you can find us on the internet at www.photoboothsupplyco.com. We have a ton of free resources. Like we have guides on how to book events before you even buy the photo booth. We have a video series called Six Steps to Six Figures. Um, we have a pricing webinars on there. We have podcasts for you to follow. Tons of YouTube content. Like it is uh, an oasis of, of free stuff for you guys to digest and learn, not just about photo booths, but about business in general. So head on over to photoboostblacker.com and, and get your fixings there. Awesome. Great. All right. So last question here. Seeing as business is an adventure, what are your field notes or your trail guide that you would hand to somebody if they were starting their own business? Listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Not just this podcast, but like this entire business as an adventure podcast. Um, yeah. And, and then a high note, just always keep learning going back to what we said earlier kaizen mm -hmm. if you're if you're designed to be an entrepreneur you are not going to be picking a glamorous life at least for the first few years you're going to be working your ass off and there's going to be a lot of people that are going to have just the same amount of drive or more drive than you and you've got to kind of put in the work and you're going to not see your friends for a while you're going to abandon your family you're going to have text messages that text messages that haven't been replied to in, in days but in the end, it's going to be worth it. And I, this whole thing didn't happen overnight. You know, it took us since we were 18 years old to be at the point where we are today. And that came with dozens of learning experiences, hundreds of thousands of dollars of mistakes, you know. Um, but in the end, you do get the fruits of your labor and it is definitely worth it until COVID hits. <laughs> <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That's awesome. Yeah, I think this has been killer. I think if anybody's starting a business, just listen to this episode. You've given right. so many, so many gems of wisdom. So thank you so much cool. for your time and, and for joining us today. I really appreciate it, Brandon. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for tuning into our show today. You can find a transcript of this episode and all of our episodes, as well as our show notes at businessasanadventure.co slash podcast. You can find us on our Instagram at businessasanadventure. We'd also love to see you in our Facebook community where we provide weekly free education for our fellow adventurers. You can find the link in our show notes. 
And finally, if you want to get a weekly, not spammy, email from us with our favorite things we've found in the business and creative world, you can sign up for our Field Note Fridays at businessasanadventure.co slash fieldnotes.